you got your Bible this morning, meet me in Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, if you're new to the bridge, my name is Zach and I'm one of the pastors and I have the absolute privilege of getting to share with you guys today. And I have a message in my heart that I'm excited about and it's simply called this, seeing beyond myself. Seeing beyond myself. That's a hard thing for a lot of us to do, but it's something that God is calling all of us to do, to look outside of what's going on here and see beyond myself. When I was in Bible college, I spent one year of of Bible college in Australia. And while I was there, one of the great privileges that we had as students was to serve at conferences and bigger events in our church. And the church that I was a part of was one of the largest churches in the world at that time. And so when they would have a conference, you would have anywhere from like 15 to 20,000 people at one of their conferences. And as students, we had the great privilege of serving. And it was always so exciting because we didn't know where we were going to get assigned to serve. Sometimes you might get assigned to serve as a host in the room, which meant you got to sit in on all the sessions, and that was a lot of fun. You might even be lucky enough to be uh, serving somewhere backstage because some of the biggest, like, you know, most well-known preachers and Bible teachers in the world would be there, and you get to just see them up close. And that was really cool if you were lucky enough to get assigned there. But you might also get assigned, on the other hand, to being a part of the excellence team. And those were the people that served overnight in the arena, cleaning bathrooms, hallways, and under seats, and they didn't get to see any of the sessions. That role was equally important to any other role there in the conference, but that was the one role most of us didn't want because we didn't think we would get anything out of doing that. So I'll never forget the day that I got my email telling me what I was assigned to at conference that year. I woke up in the morning, I opened my email, and there it was. It said, good morning, Zach. For conference this year, you are assigned to lost properties. I know that sounds really exciting, serving at lost properties at a big conference. I mean, let's be honest. When you wanna talk about learning what ministry is, serving at lost property is one of the first things that you think of, of course. Lost properties is kind of a funny name. That's the Australian term for what we would usually call the lost and found. I got to serve at the lost and found tent at conference. And I wish I could tell you that there was some earth-shattering, quaking moment that happened where the Lord spoke to me and it changed my life. I wish I could tell you that the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, that there was a pillar of fire or a pillar of cloud, or that the audible voice of the Lord spoke to me and it changed my life. But none of those things happened. I served at the lost and found, and what would happen was people would bring things that were lost overnight in the arena or found during the day, and they would bring them to the tent, and it was our job to organize those things. And so we organized them inside the tent from valuable items to really invaluable or worthless items. And over here on this side, we had phones, wallets, purses, credit cards, debit cards, jewelry, Somewhere in the middle was, you know, the less expensive jewelry that everybody knows didn't really cost a whole lot, but it got turned in anyway that somebody probably won't claim. And then over here, you had something as worthless as the scarf that someone left laying under their seat in the arena. And I was actually amazed at how many scarves were piled up in the lost and found. And again, I would love to tell you that the Lord spoke to me in a profound way while I was serving at the lost and found, but that didn't happen. I think, though, I did learn one lesson from serving at the lost and found that stuck with me and has helped me to understand human nature to this very day. You see, I was amazed at how much value people placed on insignificant items and how little value they placed on very significant items. 
There were a lot of people that would come and they would see that somebody had turned in that nasty, sweaty, dingy, torn and tattered scarf that they had left under their seat the night before. And when they saw that somebody had turned it in and we had it and we gave it back to them, it was as if heaven had come down. They had been reunited with this long lost scarf that meant so much to them. And we were amazed. But at the end of the week, we were also amazed to find that there were phones. And at this time, there were no iPhones. There were flip phones, razors, and Blackberries. Come on. (laughs) Where are all the people that are my age and older? That were left there never to be recovered. And as I said, I got to the end of the week, and I was incredibly amazed at how little value people placed on significant items and how much value they placed on insignificant items. And I think sometimes it's our human nature to place an uh, an incorrect amount of emphasis or significance on things in this life that just aren't that valuable. As Christians, we need to make sure that we have a balanced value system in our life. And I'm not just talking about the biblical core values that shape our morality. Those things are important. But rather, what I'm talking about is we need to make sure that we are placing value upon the things that are valuable to God. When the things that are important to God become important to me, I position myself to accomplish all of God's plans for my life in the earth. I'm going to say that one more time. When the things that are important to God become important to me, I position myself to accomplish everything God has destined for my life in the earth today. But if I place significance on insignificant things, it's very possible that I might miss out on what God wants to do in and through my life here on earth. And sometimes one of the things that we can place a little bit too much value on, you ready for this? Ourselves. Because some people are going to hear that and you'll be like, oh, Zach, don't you know it's Self-Care Sunday? You're watching on your phone from the spa. Welcome. We're glad you're here today. But listen... Sometimes, I'm not saying that you're not valuable to God, but sometimes we can place so much significance on ourselves that we miss out on the significance of others and the people that God is calling us to. And I believe God is calling us to lift up our eyes, see beyond ourselves, and recognize that he doesn't just want to do things for us, he wants to do things through us. And all of that leads us to Luke chapter 15, because when we get to Luke 15, what we see is that Jesus has a conflict, there's like a collision that takes place where miss place priorities begin to rise to the surface. And there's some context here because Jesus is talking to some religious people. So I want to start by reading verse 1 of Luke 15. It says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. It's really funny the way that that's worded because did you notice that sinners are grouped together but tax collectors are called out significantly? Then all the IRS agents and the sinners drew near to Jesus to hear from him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying that this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Now, notice here in the story that Jesus isn't even talking with the Pharisees and scribes, but they stop and they decide to criticize him anyway. I want to push pause right here, and I just want to say something because this has been in my heart this morning. I think with all of us living in the digital age today, one of the things that's changed with our generation is that we have millions of voices available to us at the push of a button at any time. And that especially exists within the church world and within Christianity. And it's interesting, in this story, Jesus isn't even talking to the scribes and Pharisees, yet they go out of their way to stop and criticize him, even though they're not really even a part of the story. 
And it occurs to me that there's a lot of voices online these days that are incredibly critical of pastors and teachers and church leaders. And what's amazing about it is a lot of these critical voices are building big platforms and they wouldn't have anybody to talk to if it wasn't for the fact that the person they're criticizing has a bigger platform than them. Now here's the deal. There's a lot of amazing voices out there as well that want to encourage you in your walk with God. But can I just throw out a quick warning to everybody as your pastor? If you are listening to voices online that are doing nothing but tearing down and criticizing other church leaders, run as fast as you possibly can. Because if the spirit behind it says we're right and everybody else is wrong, that's a bad place to be. All right, well, let's leave that right there. But what we see here is that Jesus is having a conversation with these Pharisees or with these these sinners and tax collectors and the Pharisees and scribes stop simply to criticize him. And they criticized him not for the things that he was teaching, not for what Jesus believed or for anything that Jesus did. They criticized him because of who he was hanging out with. And who Jesus was hanging out with was a direct reflection of his priorities, In Matthew chapter 15, there's a separate story where Jesus is talking to this Canaanite woman, and she comes and approaches Jesus, and Jesus kind of stops for a moment, and he looks at her, and he says, don't you know that my first and primary call is to find the lost sheep of the house of Israel? See, Jesus in his ministry made it so clear that he had one primary calling above all else, and that was to seek and save the lost. And what's happening right here is these religious people who think they got it all together, want to stop and criticize what he's doing. See, Jesus' priority was always to pursue the lost and disconnected, not just hang out with the found and firmly planted. Hmm, that makes us stop and reflect on our own priorities today. Because of this, the religious leaders despised Jesus. They despised him not because of his compassion, and not because of his kindness, but because his priorities were different than theirs, and that did not fly with their religious system. So how does Jesus deal with the criticism? Let's read on and see what happens next. Now, I have to tell you that Jesus does something here that Scripture doesn't record or the Gospels don't record anywhere else. Right here in Luke 15, Jesus tells three consecutive parables about one topic. The Gospels don't record him doing that anywhere else. That's how significant and important this was to Jesus' heart. He wanted to stop and emphasize this. He tells three stories, and I want you to notice from the outset that when Jesus told a parable, it was usually an illustration that was in line with what was happening right there in that context. And sometimes it was hard to understand what the parable meant. I mean, if you think the parables of Jesus are easy, I challenge you this week to go to the following chapter, Luke 16, and read the story of the unfaithful servant because it's really hard to figure out. Sometimes Jesus told some confounding stories, but this one's pretty clear. And in all three stories, there's an object and there's an onlooker. And in all three stories, the object is a lost object, and then there's somebody who's looking at what's going on, and they respond according to when the object is found. I want to point that out before we move forward. So let's read on and see what happens in these three stories. It says in verse 3, So Jesus spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders. And so you see this shepherd coming back with that lost sheep there on his shoulders. And he's rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors. And he says to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep 
which was lost. And I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just people who did not need to repent. If you're taking notes this morning, I want to give you a thought from each one of these stories, okay? So here's the first thought I want to give you. Number one, if you're taking notes, the kingdom of God does not revolve around me. That one hits hard. Now, let me put it another way. I'll, I'll just say it like this. I, I hate to break this to you guys because I know that maybe nobody's ever told you this before. Maybe this was kind of how you were thinking when you came in the room this morning. Maybe it's kind of due time that somebody told you this. But, like, here's the thing. You are not the center of the universe. So if you came with your spouse or a friend or a family member, look at them right now, right now, right now, look at them, and say, you are not the center. Nope, uh uh-uh, you're not. But just because you're the one doing the pointing doesn't mean that you are the one who's at the center of the universe because it doesn't revolve around you either. See, this parable speaks so clearly of the heart of the good shepherd to not only care for his flock, but to pursue the ones who are lost. And in this parable, Jesus identifies an object or a sheep that's been lost. And when he realizes that the sheep is lost, the good shepherd leaves the 99 behind to go and pursue the one that's lost. We'll talk more about the 99 here in just a moment because there's significance there, I think. But once the shepherd finds it, he calls together his friends and his neighbors to celebrate the restoration of the lost sheep back into the flock. Notice the story. So the sheep is the lost object, but... What about the onlookers? Well, in verse 7, Jesus makes it clear that in the same way that the shepherd's friends and neighbors celebrate the recovery of the lost sheep, so too do the angels in heaven when one sinner comes home and repents and is brought back into the flock. So there's the object, and then there's the onlookers. If I could put it another way, it was as if Jesus was saying to the religious people, the heavens are rejoicing that the lost are coming home, so why can't you rejoice too? I had a friend recently that I was talking to on the phone, and he pastors a church that he took uh, a few months back and became the lead pastor at his church. And he told me, he says, you know, when you step into the lead role at a church, things change, and, like, people are having to adjust to you. And he said, every single Sunday when I get to the end of the message, I always give a salvation appeal so that people who don't know Christ can come home and step into that relationship, or people that are disconnected from Christ can come home and recommit their lives. He said, and what I found was that that was kind of new to our church. And he said, this one lady comes up to me on a Sunday afternoon after church, and she goes, I have a question for you. She says, I noticed that every single Sunday at the end of the message, you give an opportunity for people to receive Christ, like a salvation appeal. And he goes, yeah. And she goes, why do we have to do that every Sunday? And he said, I was just shocked. Because I told her, don't you realize that every single Sunday, there are people walking through the doors of our church that don't know Christ? And I'm not going to let them walk out of the doors of our church without them having an opportunity to receive Christ into their life. But he says to me, he goes, you have to understand that something happens when you stop looking at the ones and all you care about is what's going on with the 99. When you reach a place where all you see is yourself, suddenly I don't see things the way Christ sees things. And we have to have a shift in our perspective and recognize that God is often calling us to see beyond ourselves and see others the way that he sees them. Now, 
just to be honest, I know many of you would have been in first service last week. And at the end of the service last week, Pastor Gary was given a salvation appeal. And we were giving people instructions on, you know, the next steps. Hey, come grab the book that we give everybody called The Next Seven Days. And I know at that point in the service, we had a lot of people that were like looking at their watch, thinking about their lunch reservations. They were trying to beat the line to pick up their kids. Or they were just antsy and in a hurry to get out. And I know pastors stopped because there was a lot of people just up and walking out. And I'm, we didn't do that. I know he stopped and waited, not to you know, necessarily express anger at everybody. But I know he voiced his frustration. And as I was sitting in the front row yesterday, I realized that so often we can fall into thinking like 99s and stop thinking about the ones. And here's the thing. For every single person in the house this morning who is in a relationship with Christ, there was a time where you were the one. And if I can look back over my shoulder and remember the time that I was the one that the good shepherd came and found and pulled me into his flock, and I recognize how much that moment meant to me, then I should also stop and recognize just how much this moment means to others. Now, with all that said, I want to say one other thing about the 99. I'm a pastor. By definition in scripture, that means shepherd. I don't know what it's like to deal with sheep. I've never had actual, you know, meh, sheep in my I've never had any of them. I don't know anything about shepherding actual stinky, fluffy sheep. I don't. But here's what I do know. If I had a hundred of them and I lost one, I might be afraid to chase after the the one lost sheep because if I leave the 99 to their own devices, I'm not so sure they're going to be there when I come back. And when we all recognize that God has included us into his flock, we need to be mindful of the ones who get lost. And when our leaders go after them, we need to band together as the 99 and say, we got you. We're not going anywhere. Go and pursue those ones because we are the church. We were the ones who were lost, who have been found. We know our place. So therefore, we will stay in place and we will honor the ones who are coming home. Amen? All right, so let's read on and see the next parable because that's the parable of the lost sheep. Jesus goes on and tells another story about another lost object. Look at verse eight. He goes on and he says, or what woman, new story, having 10 silver silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors, just like the good shepherd. She calls them together saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. The lost coin, I found it. Finally, verse 10, likewise, I say to you, there is a joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, similar story, but a few different things. Here's the second thought I want to give you this morning if you're taking notes. Number two, Everyone has value worth searching for. Everyone has value worth searching for. Now, notice again in this parable, Jesus gives us an object. This time it's not a sheep, it's a lost coin. And he also gives us an onlooker, the woman's friends and neighbors that she calls when she finds the coin. But notice also that Jesus narrows down the number from the 100 sheep. Now he's talking about the 10 coins. And every time I read this parable, of the lost coin, it reminds me of connect groups. I can't get away from it. Every single time I see this. And I can tell you a lot of reasons why for that, but one of the biggest reasons why is because I think a lot of us came to Christ when we were the one lost sheep in a crowd of hundred or hundreds like this. A lot of us have an experience like that. 
But our walk with God changed. Our, our walk with God grew and mature, not when we just remained as a part of a big flock of people, but when we got into a smaller circle of connection and we started to build close friendships, people saw value in us. They pulled us into the family, and it grew our walk with God. And that's the picture that I see. And here's what I love about it. The scripture says that the woman had 10 coins. She loses one. So what does she do? She lights a lamp and she searches the house. Other translations, depending on what you're reading, say scours the house or sweeps the house. When my wife and I first got married, we started leading a new connect group in our apartment, our tiny little 600 square foot, one bedroom apartment in Costa Mesa, California that costs way too much money. But anyway, (laughs) still angry about that, but nevertheless... I remember there were days that just like all of you, I would get off work and I'm like, I don't feel like leading a connect group tonight. And when I got home, what I found is that my wife had a list of things that I needed to do in order for people, for the house to be prepared for other people to come over. And I remember there were times where I was like, I don't want to clean the bathroom right now, I'm tired. I've been at work all day, I don't even want to talk to anybody. You know how many phone calls I've had today, emails I've responded to, customer complaints, all that kind of stuff that all of us have to deal with on a normal daily basis. But yet we would get home and we would go through the motions and we would kind of remind ourselves why we were doing this. And when I think about stopping to clean the bathroom and make sure that the carpet was vacuumed and cleaning up the kitchen and taking out the trash and all of those things, it kind of reminds me of the woman who lost a coin and in order to find it, she lit a lamp, she scoured the house, she swept, she looked everywhere until she found the valuable thing that she was looking for. See, each and every one of us in this room I would think if you were in a close walk with God, you can probably look back to some point in your life where there was somebody who saw value in you even when you didn't see it in yourself. And they invited you into a smaller circle of connection until you started to see a little bit of that value in yourself also. And what you found was they weren't just welcoming you into a community, they were welcoming you into the family of God. And there are a lot of us that would honestly say, if we were telling the truth, that I am in this room today and following Jesus today because there was somebody out there who saw value in me and took time to invite me into a smaller circle of connection. Now, I know this is going to sound like the pastor plug that wants to encourage everybody to lead a connect group, and that's kind of what it is. (laughs) One of the things I've noticed is that a lot of us, when it comes to connect groups and small groups, are like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea, but it's a little bit more than what I want to try to do. And sometimes when we recognize that we need community, what we want is for somebody to bring community to us. We want to bring the perfect thing, the perfect thing for me, for my family, for my kids, for my marriage, for my need in this season. If only there was something that existed that somebody else could give to me. But I think sometimes we stop or that that we fail to stop and recognize that maybe the thing we're looking for doesn't exist because we haven't yet created it. And I want to ask you, What kind of community do you need and are you looking for that maybe God's calling you to step out and create? Because when I look back and think about the people who invested in me and saw value in me and pulled me into a smaller circle of connection, it changed my life. And if somebody else, if God had called somebody else to do that for me, then surely he might be calling me to do that for somebody else also. So there's my plug to consider leading a connect group this fall here at the bridge. But I want to say it one more time. There were people who saw value in me when I didn't see value in myself. He might not ever see this. I've told this story in church before, and I cry every time I tell it. I have a friend named Steve Trainer. And Steve Trainer invited me to a connect group at the church that I met my wife at 
And I didn't know anybody. I actually lived here in Canyon Lake, and I knew I was going to be moving to Orange County to be a part of this church. And I started driving out there to be a part of it. The first time I had ever gone to this connect group, I was running late because I had to sit in traffic to get all the way out to Orange County. And this man, Steve, faithfully just kept texting me, hey, man, you going to make it? Are you coming? I was like, yeah, dude, I'm on my way. I'm just running late. And when I got there, I knew nobody. And when I pulled up to the coffee shop, he was standing outside the coffee shop with his phone in hand just waiting for me to arrive. <laughs> That night changed my life. Because to this day, the people that were in that circle are still some of our great friends. Those relationships that I was pulled into, not that I just discovered or that fell into my lap, but that I was pulled into absolutely changed my life. And people saw value in me even when I didn't yet see it in myself. Fast forward to the year 2007, and we had a combined connect group night, and we decided let's do something fun. So we had an 80s skate night with all of our connect groups in our church. I'm talking like from young to old, it was so much fun. And I got there and I just happened to see this gorgeous, ravishing woman <laughs> on roller skates. And I'd seen her at church once before and she had a, a little baby with her and I thought she was a single mom. Turns out it was her nephew who's now my nephew. But we met that night, and we connected a little bit, and then afterwards, and I want to tell you guys, I met my wife in our connect group. And I just want you to know that you never know what might happen <laughs> when you choose to step out in faith and join or lead a connect group. Somebody say amen. amen. Listen, seriously, everybody has value worth searching for. Somebody reached out and found it in you and pulled it out of you and pulled you into the family of God. If God called somebody else to do that for you, perhaps he's calling you to do that for somebody else. All right. Finally, Jesus goes on here and he tells a third story. And of all the stories in this passage, of the three stories, this is probably the one that we're most familiar with because it's the story of the lost son or more commonly known as the story of the prodigal son. Pastor Gary preached a phenomenal message earlier this year on the story of the prodigal son about the ring and the robe and the fatted calf and everything that that meant in that story. Jesus spends about three times as many verses on the story of the prodigal son as he does the first two stories combined. So to summarize and save time, I want to tell you very briefly the story of the prodigal son. Jesus says that there's a man who has a son, and one day his son comes to him, and he says, Dad, I want you to give me my inheritance now. I want you to give me everything that you've worked for that you're going to pass on to me. I want you to give me everything that I'm going to get later on when you pass away. I want you to give it to me now so I can go out and have the life that I want for myself. And the father looks at the son surprised and basically says, well, okay, I mean, it's going to be yours anyway. So he gives it to him. And scripture says, according to Jesus' story, that the son goes out and he takes everything that his father worked for, everything his father was going to give him in his inheritance, and he squanders it on sinful living, on kind of a party lifestyle. It even goes on and specifically says that he spends his money on harlots to the point that he has no more money and he has no food and he's hungry. And so somehow he starts to connect with this guy who has a farm. He goes there to serve on his farm and on his ranch, and pretty soon he looks down and sees that the pigs on this guy's farm are eating better than he is, and he kind of longs for those pods that the pigs are eating right there in the pigsty. And so the prodigal son recognizes, man, things were so much better when I was back at home with my dad. So he starts rehearsing the speech that he's going to say to his dad when he goes home. And pretty soon, he runs back to his dad's house. 
And he presents himself and he begins to apologize and he lays out his rehearsed speech and his father cuts him off in the middle of the speech because he doesn't care about where he's been. He doesn't care about what he's done. He doesn't care about what happened to the inheritance. He's just happy to see that his son is home. And I want to stop right here very quickly and just point something out. This is a bit of a side note in the overall message today, but I think it's important for us to grab this. When you read through the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal son first begins by coming to his father and saying, Father, give me my inheritance. Give me everything you've worked for. Give me everything that's coming to me later. I want it all now. But then when he goes broke, he comes back to his father and he says, Father, just make me your son again. Just make me a servant in your house. Just make me into everything that you thought I was going to become before. See, as we grow in our walk with God, something has to change inside of us where we stop approaching God with gimme, 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 and at some point we have to come to God and say, God, make me, make me, make me into everything you want me to be. It's a sign of maturity in our walk with God. And sometimes that takes humbling, but the prodigal son comes home and his father sees him in the distance and he's waiting for him and he brings out the ring and he puts it on his finger, that family ring. He puts the the royal robe around him as to welcome him back home and say, you're safe. This is a garment I'm putting over you. And he says, kill the fatted calf. Let's eat, drink, and be merry and have a good time because my son has come home. For everybody that knows that story, we tend to kind of push pause right there and say, hey, what a great story. The father welcomes the son home. But remember where we started. Jesus is talking to religious people. See, in the third story, the son is the object, but there's still an onlooker in the story. Because what we soon discover is that the prodigal son has an older brother. And he ain't so happy about this party that's taking place at his house. Read what it says in verse 25. Now his older brother, the older son, was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. He's throwing a party. But he was angry, and he wouldn't go into his brother's party. Therefore, his father came out, and he pleaded with him. So he answered, and he said to his father, lo, these many years I've been serving you, dad, and I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my, look at all the eyes and my's and me's. Never gave me the young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as, look at these words, as soon as this son of yours, notice he doesn't say, but my brother. No, he says, no, this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. You killed the fatted calf for him? And he said to him, son, you are always with me and have all, and all that I have is yours. And it was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. In closing this morning, the third thought I want to share with you from this third story is simply this. Number three, if God calls us sons and daughters, then we need to be able to begin to see each other as brothers and sisters. We talk about the children of God, the sons of God, the daughters of God, and that sounds so nice and beautiful and everything, but sometimes we really struggle with the idea of seeing each other as brothers and sisters, because guess what? Living with brothers and sisters isn't always easy. Sometimes there's conflict. Sometimes there's disagreement. Sometimes we have different personality types that rub each other the wrong way. And sometimes we think that we've got it all together, and we look at our brothers and sisters, and we're like, well, what's wrong with you? 
people come in and we celebrate the fact that they've come home back into the family of God. And sometimes we struggle with that because like, well, you never should have made those mistakes in the first place. Why are we celebrating these people? And what do we do? We have our eyes on ourselves, forgetting what the heart of God is for the lost. The son, the older brother struggles to see his own brother as a brother. I remember when I was probably 10 or 11 years old, I was at Target one night with my mom and my brother, and my brother got lost. Now, there are probably, won't do a show of hands, but there are probably a lot of parents who have had some episode in your life where you lost a child, and it freaked you out. Nothing makes your imagination go wild like losing a kid wondering where they went, what's happening to them now, because I don't know where they are. Now, this was my brother, but I will never, ever forget that night because we lost him for probably about 15 minutes in Target. And when they kept saying his name over the intercom and he wasn't coming over and over and over again, it was very disheartening. And man, 15 15 minutes felt like two hours that night. It was a long time ago, but I remember it so well. And back in the day in Target, they had the video game displays that a kid could just walk up and play a video game while mom's shopping. So my brother found this one little nook in the store where he's playing a video game and we didn't know where he was. And after 15 minutes of just like the worst kind of thoughts about where he might be, I'll never ever forget the feeling and the vision of seeing my just innocent brother come walking around the corner like nothing had happened. So wrapped up in that video game that he didn't hear his name being called over the intercom 27,000 times. I remember during that 15-minute duration how so many people would walk by and see my mom just frantically wondering where her son was. Maybe a couple were kind enough to stop and to see if everything was okay, but it was like nobody else wanted to stop and place value on someone who was lost right there. Because guess what? It hits different when it's your kid. It hits different when it's your brother, when it's your sister. But I will never forget the way I felt when I saw my baby brother come around the corner walking up and we knew that he was okay. And that's the thing that I think about when I think about the father standing on the front porch as the prodigal son came home. He saw himself, the older brother saw himself as self-righteous and when he saw his undeserving brother coming home, he looked at him and he's like, Dad, why would you ever welcome this guy home? See, if God calls us sons and daughters, then at some point we have to be able to see ourselves as brothers and sisters. A couple weeks ago, you guys heard Pastor Gary and my dad sing, maybe even for the first time. And it was a lot of fun. One of the things you might not know about my dad is that back in the day, he used to write and record music. My dad wrote a song when I was a kid that he used to sing in church, and it's still one of the favorite songs he ever wrote, and the words of the chorus go like this. Why, tell me why, do we build walls reaching to the sky? And we try to isolate ourselves from one another. Because if we say that we believe, then why can't we see what the Father sees? And if God calls us sons, then I think the time has come that we should call each other brothers. This morning we've talked about the story of the lost sheep. Everybody celebrated when the lost sheep came home. The friends, the neighbors, why? Because it meant something to the good shepherd. The lost coin, the coin was found and everybody celebrated with the woman who lost her coin, why? Because it meant something to the heart of that woman. But when people come home here at the bridge or we connect with those who are disconnected, We need to bring them in and see them as sons and daughters, and we need to celebrate that above all else. We need not to find ourselves in a position where we have the attitude of the 99. We need to be people who are looking out for the ones and having the same priorities that Jesus did when he found us.
We're brothers and sisters in the Lord, so therefore we should see each other that way. Amen. Father, I thank you for this body of believers, this family that you have placed us in. God, we are grateful to have one another. I pray in Jesus' name that we would value each other the same way that you value us. Father, I pray that we would see beyond ourselves. We would stop and recognize that your kingdom revolves around you. It doesn't revolve around us. So if it revolves around you, God, we want to pick up your priorities and we want to lay ourselves aside. God, I pray that you would show us how to find value in other people the same way that other people found value in us. You called them to place value on us and pull us into your family. So I pray, God, that you would tug on our hearts and show, show us how it is that we can place value on others and pull them in as well. Father, finally, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to see beyond ourselves. Not just see each other as distant, but see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Placing value on one another and caring about one another's well-being. In Jesus' name. If you're here this morning, maybe you feel like you're the prodigal son. Maybe you feel far from God. Maybe you don't even feel worthy to be in a relationship with God. I want to tell you that today, this is not a room full of religious Pharisees. This is a room full of brothers and sisters who want to welcome you into the family of God today. doesn't matter how far you've been. doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't even matter how you got here today. I want to pray a prayer in just a moment to help invite you back into the family of God. Scripture tells us that we can have a relationship with God by saying yes to Jesus, the one who died for our sin, the one who was raised from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave so that you and I would not have to face it. All we have to do is place our faith in Christ, believe it in our heart, confess it with our mouth, and allow him to become the Lord of our life. And we'll step into everything that God has for our lives here on earth and in eternity. I'm gonna pray a prayer right now. You don't have to repeat these words, but I wanna invite you to make these words your own. Cry out to the Father right now and invite Christ into your life. Jesus, we thank you that you went to the cross for us and today, we choose to make you the Lord of our lives. We surrender to you. We give our lives to you. We ask that you would come in, fill us, save us, redeem us, and take us into everything that you have. We thank you that you didn't just die for us, but you were raised from the dead, conquering death on our behalf. We put our faith in that sacrifice, and we put our faith in the finished work of the empty tomb. We ask for your purposes to be fulfilled in our lives until the day comes that we see you face to face in eternity give you our lives today in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. A couple things before we, wrap, we, we finish today. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, we want to help you start your walk with God. We have a little gift we want to put in your hands called the next seven days. It's a simple gift, a free tool we want to put in your hands to help you get started in your walk with God. After service, we'll have prayer teams right down here. Just walk up to one of our prayer teams. Let them know you made a decision to follow Christ. They'll put that book in your hand. We don't need anything from you, but we are here to help in any way that we can. If you need prayer, come see one of our prayer teams. They are here to pray a prayer of faith in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through. So come and take advantage of one of our prayer teams today, okay? We're so thrilled that people made a decision to follow Jesus today, and we want to welcome you into the family. Can we put our hands together and welcome people into God's family? And the very last thing before we go, I just want to say thank you, as always, for your faithful generosity here at the bridge. Thank you for giving to the work, the, the forwarding of the gospel here through this local church in the Temecula Valley and through all of our missions partners around the world and domestically. We're so grateful for your generosity. If you'd like to give this morning, there's some ways that you can do that uh, digitally that are on the screen. You can also grab one of those envelopes and just drop it in one of our giving stations before you go today if you'd like to do that as well. But above all else, 
we just wanna say thank you. You guys are incredibly generous and we are thankful that we get to partner with you guys. We love you. Have a fantastic Sunday and an amazing week. We'll see you in the house of God next Sunday. Go and be the church.